Good morning, church. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ City and want to welcome you, uh, whether you're joining us here at Minor or you're joining us online by YouTube. And I want to begin by sharing something uh, you may have already seen. This week, the first images from NASA's Webb telescope were released, showcasing with even more stunning detail what lies out there. Uh, some decades ago, I took high school astronomy, which qualifies me to read a description of this image. <laughs> because we have actual space experts among us and I'm not here to embarrass myself. <laughs> but this, this picture, the first image, um, which I know you won't be able to see it quite as well here in minor, it's just breathtaking. Every single spark of light that you see that has spikes around it is a star within our galaxy. And every spark of light that doesn't have spikes around it, so, so many more are other galaxies with their own stars and their own star systems. And if that wasn't enough to boggle the mind, this view is peering into space the size of a grain of sand held at arm's length. And what we're seeing includes light reaching us from 13 billion years ago. One of the, I'm going to, this is not in my text, one of the reasons that I took high school astronomy was because I thought it would help me land a girlfriend. <laughs> you know, there's a constellation, Cassiopeia, a little W. Uh, and then I realized there was actual physics involved, and uh, I checked out. But when I see these images, when I see what's out there, I'm reminded of the psalmist's words of when I look up at your skies, at what your fingers made, God. The moon and the stars that you've set firmly in place, what are human beings that you think about them? What are, are human beings that you pay attention to them? Um, if you haven't yet seen these images or, or spent much time with them, I would encourage you to, to look them up and sit with them and wonder at them. Use them as icons, as invitations to ponder and connect with and worship the God of the universe, the God who flung these stars into space, and the God who became a human being so that we might know love and hope here on earth. Uh, you know, as we are wrapping up our Truth and Lies series, um, my previously assigned statement for this week was, you are alone. You are alone. And considering these new images of thousands of galaxies and stars and planets, if you've ever wondered about extraterrestrial life and whether we are alone, that is not what I'm going to talk about today. But it would be a fascinating conversation topic for our upcoming August seminar. So if that's an interesting question to you, feel free to write that in when you sign up. Uh, let me say, obviously, we won't be able to address every question that is submitted, but uh, it'll, uh, it'll help me frame out each week of the seminar. Um, so that's, that's coming up. So the statement, you are alone. Those of us on the preaching team have alluded to this uh, before, but it is pretty much guaranteed that um, whatever we're preaching on will first be preached to us uh, by the Lord. Uh, this week, my wife Carolyn was out of town for work, which meant I was solo parenting our two young kids. 
the initial plan was that I would be on my own for 14 of the first 16 days of the month. Who's counting, right? <laughs> Is the longest that either of us had been solo with the kids. And there were some lows, and there were some highs, neither, neither of which I'm going to explain because we don't need that on permanent record. <laughs> but Carolyn was supposed to get home last night. That was the finish line I was heading toward. You know, I feel like I tried to ration my patience and my energy and my strength for that goal. You know, it's kind of like running a marathon. You know, like, don't add on more miles after that. Uh, but as some of you may have seen on my social media, her flight, flight got canceled. And so she is now scheduled to be, to, to be back tomorrow night. So pray that that happens. I have been alone these first couple of weeks of the month. Now, every single one of us here today, every single person hearing this right now has felt, we've all felt alone. We've all felt it. You may recall a particular moment or experience in your life when you felt alone. You may be considering the ways in which you feel alone right now. Wondering if you fit in at work or in your social circles or in the world or, or in our church. Or wondering how long it will take to be seen and known and loved as you are, and for all that you are. Maybe you feel it on, on a relational level, as a single person around a lot of married folks, or as one without kids, whether by choice or by circumstance, as a lot of your peers have them or are having them. Or as someone who's still here in D.C. as many friends leave, as so many do. I felt alone during seasons of challenge, especially with my family of origin and many close friends not within walking or even driving distance. I shared before um, about my college best friend passing away, and he was in England when, at the time when that happened, and I felt alone because I wasn't able to be back in the UK with our other friends. Uh, I felt alone when I was wrestling with whether to resign from a job but just couldn't really talk about it with anyone. When Carolyn and I first became parents, that drop into the deep end of sleeplessness and of not knowing what you're doing and whether this is going to last forever, uh, that can be isolating. The pandemic has obviously been isolating, right? Wondering who your pod is, wondering who will welcome you into their pod, feeling necessarily cut off from others, missing community, wrestling with loss and grief and all of the turmoil and all of the hard things in the world, but, but so often felt like we were on our own. Anytime you're in a situation of need, you may wonder if and anybody will help, if anybody will respond, if you're being a burden or an inconvenience, and you feel alone. And then there are situations of trauma or abuse, physical or sexual or emotional or spiritual, where one of the most insidious tools is that of isolation, making you feel like you're the only one or you're the crazy one or you're the one who's bringing this on yourself. And the loneliness lingers and healing is halted because a story is shut up and a wound is covered up and a soul is carved up. Sin separates and isolates. Pastor and author Rich Velota says, at its core, sin is failure to love. At its core, 
Sin is failure to love. And whether because of our own failure to love or someone else's, we may find ourselves alone, separated by walls of hurt or the fog of trauma or negative self-talk or the lies of the enemy. And often in our loneliness, however we have ended up there, shame can creep in with even more untruths about our worth, about our identity, about our belovedness, about our God. And the statement, you are alone, is no longer just a description of physical reality, but it can seem like a relational reality. It can seem like a spiritual reality. And those can feel even more devastating when you're surrounded by people and yet you feel alone. The loneliness is internal. And shame forms a barrier that keeps you in and keeps everyone else out. That's the side of you are alone that I want to talk about today. We see that dynamic in Genesis 3, the same passage with which Pastor Andrea kicked off our series, the, the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. After they ate from the fruit of the tree they were told not to eat from, it says, then they both saw clearly and knew that they were naked, and so they sewed fig leaves together and made garments for themselves. During that day's cool evening breeze, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the Lord God in the middle of the garden's trees. They were ashamed, and they hid. And the thing is, the man and the woman were together the whole time. That's what we see in verse 6. Uh, the woman gave some of the fruit to her husband who was with her and he ate it. They were together and yet they were alone. They were physically together but relationally apart. They were spiritually isolated in their shame. We see that because when they are confronted, they turn on one another. The man blaming the woman and the woman blaming the snake, neither taking responsibility for their actions, both failing to love by failing to do what was right and good for themselves and for each other. Failing to love by failing to listen to the one who is love. Psychiatrist Kurt Thompson describes the cycle of shame and isolation like this. He says, when we experience shame, we tend to turn away from others because the prospect of being seen or known by another carries the anticipation of shame being intensified or reactivated. However, the very act of turning away while temporarily protecting and relieving us from our feeling and from the gaze of the other ironically simultaneously reinforces the very shame we're trying to avoid, attempting to avoid. Notably, we do not necessarily realize this is this to be happening. We're just trying to survive the moment. But indeed, this dance between hiding and feeling shame itself becomes a tightening of the noose. We feel a shame. We feel shame, and then we feel shame for feeling shame. It begets itself. In Genesis 3, we are shown an example of what not to do, and thus also pointed toward what we can do which we also find in Hebrews 12 in the New Testament. It says, So then, with endurance, let's also run the race that is laid out before us, in front of us, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Let's throw off any extra baggage, get rid of the sin that trips us up, and fix our eyes on Jesus, faith's pioneer and perfecter. He endured the cross, ignoring the shame for the sake of the joy that was laid out in front of him and sat down at the right side of God's throne. 
That phrase there, the sin that trips us up, is also translated the, the sin that clings so closely or the sin, sin that entangles. But it can also be translated as the sin that so easily distracts. The sin that so easily distracts. That verb just grabs me in a particular way in our age of distraction. Adam and Eve were distracted from the whole truth by a half-truth. They were distracted from life by a lie. We get distracted from the reality of interconnectedness by the lie of individualism. We get distracted from the fullness of the life of God by sin, by our own or someone else's failure to love. And that distraction can so easily land us in a place where we finally look up and we finally look around it. And, and even if we're not physically isolated, although we may yet be, we most certainly feel relationally separate, emotionally adrift, perhaps even spiritually abandoned. And the words, you are alone, are followed by the echo of, and you always will be. In addiction recovery circles, loneliness is part of the acronym HALT. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Stressors on the system that might lead a person to relapse or to make a less than healthy decision. And for our purposes, that applies to the inclination to love or to fail to love as well. When we are hungry, when we are angry, when we are lonely, when we feel alone or when we are tired, we are less likely to make the effort to love, to do the loving thing or to refrain from doing a hurtful thing. We're less likely to say the loving thing or to hold our tongue in love. When we feel alone, when we are under that stress, we are less likely to have the energy or the will to, to break that sin, the cycle of shame and isolation. And, and the longer that the cycle continues, the more layers of time and experience pile over that core memory. The more life is lived in the wake of shame, the more people are impacted by the effects of our alone living, the harder it becomes to break out because, well, that's just what life is now. My friends, that is not the life God longs for us to have. It is not. It's not the life God came to offer each and every one of us in Christ and through Christ. I came, said Jesus in John 10.10, so that you might have life and live life to the fullest. Life to the fullest, not just in the hereafter, but in the here and now as well. Instead of spiraling in the shame cycles of you are alone, God longs for us to soar in shalom. And the peace that is wholeness, that is interconnectedness, that is redemptive and relational. And to get there, let me suggest three practical responses. First, remember. Remember that the way to that life is through the truth that dismantles every lie. And that is Jesus himself. The writer of Hebrews says, let's get rid of the sin that distracts us. And what's the opposite of distraction? Focus, attention, fix our eyes on Jesus. Faith's pioneer and perfecter. In Greek, the connotation there is of the one who started things and the one who will bring things to completion. 
It is Jesus, as we sang earlier, it is Jesus in, in, in whom we live and move and have our being. It is Jesus in whom all things hold together. It is G- in Jesus that, that that means our faith and our lives are secure in an eternal sense. It is in Jesus that we see most clearly who God is, what God is like, and therefore who we are and what we are supposed to be like as those made in the image of God. It's in Jesus that we see the demonstration, the proof of how deeply loved and known and seen we really are. As, As Watson was saying last week, how God sings over us, how God delights in us. It's in Jesus that we find we are actually never alone in the deepest, truest soul sense. At the end of Matthew's Gospel, after the resurrection, Jesus gathered His disciples to Him and said, Look, I myself will be with you every day until the end of this present age. I'll be with you every day until the end of this present age. And in John 16, Jesus explains how He will be with us. It is through the Holy Spirit. It's through the Comforter, the Advocate, the Companion, the presence of God with us and in us and among us. Same Spirit that conquered the grave lives in us. The Spirit of God who leads us into all truth will help us to discern the truth amidst the lies, discern the life amidst the death, and discern the good from the evil, and, admit, and, to, and to draw out the hope amidst the suffering, the grace amidst the shame. In Genesis 3, you know what the snake did? Talked about God. You know what the snake didn't want the man or the woman to do? Talk with God. Remember that Jesus is with us by His Spirit, nearer to us than the air that we're breathing right now. According to Hebrews 12, we can also take heart because we have a cloud of, a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Great cloud of witnesses. It is certainly referring to this list in Hebrews 11, the chapter before of so-called heroes of the faith from those named like Abel Abel and Abraham to those countless unnamed and unacclaimed who experienced suffering and even death for the sake of the gospel are imperfect but faithful predecessors surrounding us. I think the great cloud of witnesses also includes heroes of the faith down through the ages, other forefathers and foremothers in our faith. I think of Thomas, the disciple, the apostle, named the doubter, right? Nicknamed the doubter. But according to tradition, Thomas brought the gospel to India. My Indian Christian friends just celebrated 1950 years of gospel presence in India. I think of early church fathers like St. Augustine and Mystics like Teresa of Avila and Howard Thurman. I think of abolitionists like William Wilberforce and Harriet Tubman or activists like Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King Jr. I think of the countless unnamed and unacclaimed who caught a vision for life to the fullest, not just for themselves, but for all of God's creation and sought to partner their prayers with action. These surround us too. I want you to close your eyes for just a second. And imagine it, the great cloud of witnesses, those who were faithful, 
those who sought to see a better world, God's good and beautiful and kind world here on earth, they're, they're surrounding us. They are, we, we are among their number. You are not alone, my friends. We are not alone. I think the great cloud of witnesses includes each of us to one another as well. We are the the hands and feet of Jesus to the world for sure and to each other as well. And so as you open up your eyes and as you look around, see the cloud of witnesses here as well. We are to one another ambassadors and agents of God's good news. We are conduits and carriers of God's spirit and God's presence, God's life, God's truth, God's love. These last two weeks, I was on my own in that if my kids woke up in the middle of the night, I was the only adult in the house. But there were friends who came around to help with the kids, cook or send meals, more offered than than I had capacity for. Many prayed. I knew I was not alone. I received the grace of God through the care and presence of God's image bearers, God's children. And I know it's not just because I'm one of the pastors, because I've seen how this community steps up. Showcases the love of God. Meal trains and moving help and donations of diapers and dollars and showing up to serve. And that's not to say we do it all the time perfectly, that all of us always show up, that no one has ever felt unseen or unloved or alone among us. But I do think we try. We work at it and we will continue to work at it. So remember that you are not alone. Jesus is with you, and so are we. Remind yourself of that truth. Here's Kurt Thompson again. It requires great effort, however, to keep before us this vision of being part of a great gathering of people cheering us on, telling us, well done as we move through life. This is one of the first and most helpful steps in combating shame, and I would add isolation. It entails creating communities around us who are reminding us of the same thing that Jesus heard at his baptism. His belovedness, his acceptance. Our struggle against shame is begun not by ourselves, but in the company of trustworthy friends, family members, and spiritual mentors. It's in community, it's in relationship. And the best way to remember something is to act on it to utilize the truth we're trying to remember. So, don't just remember, reach out. Reach out. I'm reminded of another saying from our siblings in recovery, we are only as sick as our secrets. A few years ago, a journalist studying addiction and recovery concluded that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. It's connection with safe, supportive, reliable, and empathetic people. I think that's the key to dismantling sin and shame as well. Connection with safe, supportive, reliable, empathetic people, including Jesus. When I was preparing for these two weeks of solo parenting, I reached out to friends, I shared with my small group, I asked for help, I asked for prayer, and let me tell you, asking for help is a learned skill. It's a muscle that you have to work out. Because it can be hard to put yourself 
out there. It's, it's hard to admit your vulnerability. It's hard to acknowledge your need, especially in this city where you're supposed to have things together. But nah. Anybody who knows himself even a little bit knows we don't have it all together. And yet we can still be so timid because we don't want to risk revealing our imperfections, our inadequacies, our insecurities, our scars, and the stories behind them, or even the wounds that still haven't healed yet. And yet it is honest vulnerability that allows others to come alongside. It's honest vulnerability that breaks the power of shame to isolate us. It's honest vulnerability. It is the, the, the Me Too moments, not just the Me Too movement, the, but the moments where you open yourself up where someone can come alongside and say, hey, Me Too. Those are the moments that build and bond and heal. Those are the moments where the lies can be named by others who might be able to see more clearly than we can in any given situation, and we can be encouraged to walk in the light together. No longer alone. Is there somebody that God is bringing to your heart and mind right now? Somebody that God may want to help to break your isolation. An area of your life where you're feeling alone. To move you toward connection and community. Whether once more or for the first time. It might be a small group leader. It might be one of the pastors or staff. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's someone you'd like to get to know better, someone who may become or be part of your little subcloud of witnesses. Someone who may walk alongside you in the journey of life and faith. Maybe it's reaching out is as simple as coming forward for going, coming back to the prayer station for prayer, vocalizing a request that you've been holding inside, because if you say it out loud, it makes it real. I'm going to tell you right now, it's real. Whether you say it out loud or not. But if you say it out loud, you might have someone who can walk with you in it. Maybe the reaching out is in prayer. Maybe the reaching out is to God for the first time in a long time. Or for the first time ever. Maybe you're here and you, 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 you feel that loneliness. You know that soul ache. You find yourself longing for that God that we talk about who, who is love and, and who is with us and who loves us. I believe the God revealed to us in Jesus Christ, the God who is the creator of the heavens and the earth, the God who created the billions of galaxies and stars and star systems is also the God who is love incarnate and the God who is among us and with us right now. That's, that's who I believe in. I know there are lots of versions and iterations of who God is and what God is like. This is the God that I'm following. This is the God that I believe is in this space. It's the God that I believe offers each one of us an invitation to life to the fullest and an invitation to be part of building a world where all may experience that life. The third response, remember, reach out, the third response is receive. Receive. It can be hard to remember. It can be hard to reach out. It can also be hard to receive because to receive is where the need becomes real. You're acknowledging that something that you're getting is fulfilling something that you needed. 
to receive is to acknowledge your need not just for something, but of someone. Not just of a thing, but of a relationship. It's true whether we're talking about receiving from God or receiving from others. It's one of the reasons we take communion every week. To receive. Quite literally to remember, to reach out, and to receive. To practice receiving a gift we've done nothing to warrant. The gift of life in and through Jesus Christ. The, the gift of the reminder that in the wafer and the juice which represents Jesus' broken body and shed blood, we see and can know the welcome and affirmation and belonging of God. When we take communion, when we receive it, the gift we receive is of the body of Christ. It's the family of God, of the community of faith that, that we take this in and among people. We receive both the gift and the commission. There is both a drawing in and a sending out. And as we receive communion, we're reminded that we are not alone, that Christ came and is still with us. And as we take communion to receive the body of Christ, we're also reminded that there's work to do because there are so many who still feel alone, even among our number. We go out into our neighborhoods, into our streets, into our schools, to our workplaces, into our Zoom meetings. We know that the moment that, that screen shuts down, that person feels more alone than ever. That's the invitation of God to us, just that just as we have been welcomed, just as we are building some something, that we are invited to create a space and a world where all might know that we are not alone, that God is with us, will always be. Would you pray with me? God, I feel like this uh, statement of you are alone is, is one of those that sort of gnaws, on, gnaw, gnaws at us in the background. It may not be the thing that is first and foremost right in the forefront of our feelings or emotions, but it is something that if we sit still for too long, we certainly we feel it. And so God, we give you permission to, to speak truth and life into our lives. Whatever of those um, three responses feels the most pertinent, most challenging to remember that we are not alone, to reach out, to receive. And whichever of those uh, feels the most urgent, would you help us to see what a next step would be? Next step of response. To talk to someone, to respond to somebody's text or call or invitation to spend time with you in your presence. 
God, I pray that your spirit would be at work right now. Bringing healing to those places that we have kept shut away. Those places that have isolated, through which we've isolated ourselves and become isolated. These places that need healing. Restoration. Those places that we need to know what hope even looks like. God of a billion galaxies and stars and star systems, would you Give us a vision of what life looks like in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.